the Pashas Truma. The Pashas Truma. Uh, you have to remember that the, the Pashiyot that are about Matan Torah, about how B'nai Yisrael, how God gave the Torah and how B'nai Yisrael received the Torah, those are the last two parashiyot, Yitro and Mishpatim. And right after Mishpatim comes the parasha of Truma. And the topic in Truma is building the Mishkan. Actually, it's the Kalim. There are two parashiyot coming that come up. One is Truma, that's a parasha of the vessels in the Beit HaMikdash, the Aron, the Mizbeach, the Zahab, the Menorah, that's all in this parasha of Truma. And the second parasha of Titzaveh is about building the walls and the, uh, and the uh, divisions within the Mishkan, you know, the, the, earth, the, the Kodesh Kadashim, the Holy of Holies and the Holy part, and the Chatzer part, the, uh, <coughs> the courtyard. Um, so even though, even though both of these groups, Yidro and Mishpatim, are very problematic in terms of the order of things, and Truman Titzaveh is followed by Kitisa, which has in it the Maseha Egel, right, the Egel as a the golden calf, which took place somehow before. In other words, when B'nai Yisrael set out to build the Mishkan, that was after Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai a second time on Yom HaKippurim. Right? This, again, Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Har Sinai on Vav Sivan, on the sixth day of Sivan. And he was there for 40 days and 40 nights, which takes you to um, Yud Zion B'Tamuz. These are well-known dates in Jewish history. Yud Zion B'Tamuz. And then Moshe Rabbeinu was down in, amongst the people for three weeks until Tisha B'Av, more or less. No, I'm sorry. Until... Yeah. What? Until um, Rosh Chodesh Elul. Rosh Chodesh Elul, Moshe Rabbeinu went back up on the mountain for the second 40 days and came down with the Torah on Yom HaKippurim. So like the whole process took from, it took from Vav Sivan until Yud Tishrei, until Yud Tishrei, that's Yom HaKippurim. Yom HaKippurim, Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai and the first thing he said to Bnei Israel was build a Mishkan. And that statement is found in the parsha of Vayakel. It's found in the parsha of Vayakel. So if we go through it again, go through this. There's Yidro Mishpatim. That's about the event uh, of, of Matan Torah, which does not necessarily include the Torah, but only includes parts of the Torah, like Aseret Dibrot. That's Yidro Mishpatim. And it also includes, apparently, as Rashi explained to us, the part of the Torah, the part of the Torah that came before uh, Matan Torah, and then the parish of Mishpatim, which is the Torah after Matan Torah, right? Something like that. I don't know if. Then the last five parshiot in. Um, the last five parashiyot in Shemot are hard to understand because Truman Tetzaveh is Truman Tetzaveh Kitisa Vayakel Pekude. So I already told you that Kitisa has the Masaha Egel in it, the golden calf. And the golden calf, the, go, the golden calf took place between 40 days number one and 40 days number two. Right? It was Moshe Rabbeinu was on the mountain twice for 40 days. So in between 40 days one and 40 days two is the golden calf. Then Vayakel, 
the last two parashiyot are again about the building of the Beit HaMikdash, but the order is reversed. Vayakel is about building the building, and Pekude is about the objects in that building. So let's go do it again. Truma, this week's parasha, is about the building of the vessels in the Beit HaMikdash. Titzaveh, next week's parasha, is about the Mishkan itself, you know, building the walls, uh, the cloth, the, the curtains, of it, all of those things that delineate the place, right? Uh, Kitisa, the third of the five parashiyot, is the parasha that has the story of the Egel Azahav in it. And so the story of the Egel Azahav, the story of the Egel comes in between 40 days number one and 40 days number two, so it's sort of like out of place in the order of things. And then by Yakel Pekude, Rashi says, when Moshe Rabbeinu came down on the, on the mountain, so he told the people, let's go and build the, the Mishkan. So if Vayakel Pekude is about building the Mishkan, so what is Struva Tetzabe about? That's also about building the Mishkan. So you have the story of building the Mishkan extensively stated, a lot of psukim, a lot of details, twice. Twice in these last five parashiyot of the Torah. And the confusing location of the Egel Azahav in between the two renditions of the uh, Egel, of the uh, parashiyot that relate to the Mishkan. Okay? So the whole thing is, is a chronological disaster. It's very hard to understand why the Torah presented it in this way. But before we get to that, I don't mean we won't get to that today, but before we get to that, let's start Truma. Truma, the first pasuk in Truma says, Hashem Moshe Second pasuk says, Yisrael li Truma. li Truma. Take for me, God is speaking, a Truma. So this prevented a theological uh, discussion that was, it was seen as being un- an unacceptable statement. From any person who, who wants to donate, take my Truma. Right? Take, take this truma, this donation. Rashi says, right, on Pasukhet, I'm up to Pasukhet. Right? Pasukhet says, And you will make for me a temple or tabernacle. Here it says Mikdash. Right? The word Mikdash is usually like the Beta Mikdash, it's big, a big solid kind of structure. The word, and the, the idea of a mishkan, of a tabernacle, is something that could be taken apart and put back together again. Like, like a Lego uh, kind of thing. If you look at the Rashi, Rashi says, Rashi says in a, uh, a statement that was accepted throughout the ages as being theoretically, theologically correct, Rashi says, Rasuli Mikdash, what does the Pasuk mean when God says to B'nai Yisrael, make for me a Mikdash? Make you, make for me a Mikdash, implying that God wants something and God needs something and God looks for us to provide that need, which was theologically difficult. Was theologically today we don't have any theological difficulties. We we say, okay, so I don't understand it. So what? You know, like that's the today uh, position. But in the in the Rashi, in the time of Rashi, to say that God made a demand of B'nai Yisrael to give him God something that he needed, that was unacceptable. So what does Rashi say? Basu lishmi. Beit Bayit Kedosha. Vasul Lishmi. That's Rashi's famous uh, uh, comment. What does Vasul Lishmi mean? It means like uh, designated for God. You build a building 
and it's going to be the place which is designated for God's worship, for God's uh, uh, for, the, for, for thinking about God, for looking at but it's not because God needs it. Uh, the opposite is true. You need it. That's the resolution. That's the theological resolution that Rashi generated. Right? And, and, and this was accepted. This was accepted by many, many commentaries. Right? But the grander question, the grander question is, why did B'nai Israel in the desert need a portable mishkan? Why did they have to have a mishkan in their midst? Why wasn't it enough for them to have the promise that when they get to Eretz Israel and they do whatever they're supposed to do about the demographics in Eretz Israel, then eventually they will get to build a mikdash, which is what actually happened. What was it? What was it? I mean, after having this tremendous experience of Har Sinai in the parshiot of Yitro Mishpatim, when they actually heard and saw and felt and understood, and, and all of these things, all of the things are, are true, all these are true, why did they need so desperately to build a mishkan, a tabernacle which could be set up and taken down, right? In what way, uh, what was the need and how was that need satisfied? How is that need satisfied? So the famous introduction of the Ramban to this topic is, is on the sheet. We'll, we'll look at it together. What does the Ramban say? He says, Kasher Deber Hashem. You see the short lines at the top of the Ramban? Kasher Deber Hashem im Yisrael panim bipanim aseret adibrot. He says, what happened? You know what just happened? God spoke to B'nai Yisrael panim bipanim, face to face. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means in the Ramban because you all remember that Moshe Rabbeinu asked HaKadosh Baruch to be able to see face to face, to face God, meaning that Previously, when he was on Har Sinai, he, he, he had not seen God face to face. But God said to him, no, you can't do it. So why the Rabban said about B'nai Yisrael that they saw God face to face, I'm not sure about what, what he means, except that that's the Pasuk in Dvarim. It's a Pasuk. Kasher diber Hashem Yisrael panim b'fanim when God spoke to B'nai Yisrael and taught them Aseret Edibrot, and that was Panim B'fanim, very close. It was a very close kind of uh, situation. And, and they were commanded by Moshe Rabbeinu, some of the mitzvot, Sheim Kemo Avot LeMitzvoteha Shel Torah. Right, they are like prototypes. Or like we saw the Pasuk at the end of Mishpatim, right? Where God says to Moshe Rabbein, I'm going to give you Luchot, Torah, and Mitzvot. And Rashi says that Rav Sadiagod wrote a book in which he classified all the 613 Mitzvot as part of the Aseret Hatibrot. So that may be what the Ramban is talking about. So he says... Uh, so you know that that uh, uh, the laws of giyur, like conversion, include accepting, a person has to accept the mitzvot of the Torah, and this has become a problematic aspect of the process because the halacha over the years has strengthened the, the, the demand. I go, what do you mean? How do you tell somebody who is not Jewish that how do you how does he convince you that he's going to keep all of the mitzvot? So we take him as his word. It was the assumption always was that only mad people want to become Jewish, and that if they want to become Jewish, they're probably very devoted to becoming to becoming Jewish. So it was easier to become Jewish from this point of view. In the in previous times, 
But as becoming Jewish has become a little more popular, uh, there are all kinds of people who come to Israel, for example, and stay in Israel and you know, want to become Jewish. So the, the demands on this idea that you have to know something about the mitzvot of the Torah have become greater and greater over, over the years. And so uh, uh, today, uh, uh, you, know, you have to go to a course, for, sometimes for several years, in order to learn enough about the mitzvot of the Torah to answer, answer this question. But there's no doubt, there's no doubt that at least according to the Rambam, this idea goes back to Matan Torah. And all of the Jews, all the Jewish people staying at Har Sinai were kind of converts. They all went through this process, purification, uh, accepting the covenant, uh, accepting circumcision, they, that was all part. That was all part of standing before Har Sinai. So he says, uh, The converts who want to become Jewish, Israel accepted this obligation that whatever Moshe Rabbeinu will tell them in the future to do, they're going to do it. That's what. That's what it says. And there was a kind of a covenant established at that time about all of this. They become God's people and God in turn is their, is their God. As was the condition originally, right? This is what the pasuk says. If you accept the conditions, and the conditions are that you're going to keep the mitzvot, include the mitzvot that Moshe Rabbeinu will teach you ultimately, then we have a deal. Otherwise, no deal. That's what it says in the Pasuk. You will be a, a, a princely nation and you'll be a, 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 a holy people, whatever, whatever that implies. So here's the, the, the difficult leap. It was up to now, the Ramban is talking about, he's talking about Matan Torah. He's talking about what was Matan Torah. It wasn't just that B'nai Yisrael stood there and they received the Torah, but there was a prior agreement between God and B'nai Yisrael. That prior agreement is similar to what we call today Giyur. Circa, uh, um, what's Giyur? Conversion. conversion, right? What we call today Conversion. So B'nai Yisrael went through this process, and at the end of the process, they agreed to this agreement, to a covenant, and then HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave them the Torah and Har Sinai with the stipulation that Moshe Rabbeinu will give them more Torah, and that they have to accept, or the deal is that they're going to accept the Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu has not yet given them, but will give them in the future, and that's one of the definitions of the, their, their response, which was Naseb Nishma. We will do and keep the Torah that we know about, but we will Nishma, we will listen and accept the Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu teaches us in the future. Right? All of that, all of that is, uh, is part of the agreement that took place before the event of Matan Torah, before the event of Torah, uh, Matan Torah. Okay? I'm now in the, the end of line six. The last part. I missed out something, right? Uh, no, no, he says, uh, the fourth wide line, yeah. the third word, yeah. in other words, one of the achievements of Matan Torah, 
besides the fact that they knew something about the Torah and they accepted it as coming directly from God, they knew that that was true, the Ramban kind of slips into this line and he says, Kedoshim. So they became Kedoshim. And what does that mean? What does it mean that they, they looked regular? There was no way to tell they were them you know, from anybody else. Vinehem Kedoshim means Ruyim. They are worthy. They are worthy. This is the Ramban says. They become worthy of building the Beit HaMikdash. And what is the Beit HaMikdash? It's the place where the Shekhinah is available. Shekhinah Beinehem. Like, like it's a place for the Shekhinah. Before that time, there was no place for the Shekhinah. And now there is a place for the Shekhinah. So if any of you ever wondered where God is located, and if you ever thought to yourself that God is located every place, which is for which there are many, uh, many sources. So what exactly does the Rabban mean when he says that now they were worthy of building the Beit HaMikdash? Why do they have to be worthy? They could be worthy, but why do they have to build the Beit HaMikdash? Isn't God every place? Isn't God the creator of all things? And if God is the creator of all things, so in some way, non-deistic of course, we could find God every place. That would be the, the great thing. The great thing about, if you look at, at uh, the cases of Tefillah and the Tanakh, until the book of Daniel, until the book of Daniel, we look through the whole Tanakh, from Bereshit until uh, the Megillot, uh, you see that there's no, there's no uh, place of Davide. Even... Even the Beit HaMikdash is never called the place of davening. It's a place where you fulfill certain obligations that you have. But you could daven any place. You could daven any place. What do you need a Beit HaMikdash for exactly? Right? So the Ramban says, this is what the Ramban says, Ru'uyim mikdash lashot and therefore, Tzivat chila al dvar ha-mishkan, al dvar ha-mishkan, Menuchat HaShchina Shehu HaAron I'm sorry, Albar Mishkan, I skipped a line Sheyelo Bayit Betocha Mekudash Lishmo Why? The Ramban doesn't say But the Ramban says there has to be a Bayit, a house which is sanctified Right? It has, it's differentiated from other houses It's built according to certain rules and regulations that are promulgated by heaven and that produces a mikdash, a holy place. It produces a, a, a holy place. And he says, Because that's what God wants. He wants a bayit in their midst that would be sanctified to his name. As Rashi says, it's for God. It's for God. That's why we're building it. So according to the Ramban, even though it's hidden in the words of the Ramban, it's some kind of a Kabbalistic idea that God created the world and when you create this, when you create something, there's certain things you want to get from it. I mean, this way of thinking. I'm not saying that this is, that I know this to be true or not. I don't know. But it's the Kabbalistic way of thinking about it. If God created the world, there must have been a reason. And that, what I call, what we call reason, is, is a profit. There's got to be something that God would gain from creating the world, right? So in the, you know that the Eitz Chaim, the book that was written by Rav Chaim Vital about uh, the Arizal's ideas, the first question in the Eitz Chaim is, why did God create the world? First question. And then there's a long paragraph that en answers the question, and the answer to the question is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had certain midot, there are certain qualities we might call that, when we talk about a person, we call them personality traits. But we're talking about God, so we call them midot, attributes, uh, is, a, is a common uh, translation. So if God has an attribute called mercy, that mercy could never be expressed because there was nothing to express it upon or at. 
Right? You can't be merciful in the primeval forest. That's it. Unless you think you could be merciful on a few trees. But you can't be merciful in the primeval forest because there's no one to be merciful upon. So God created the world. The Arizal said this. Hello? The Arizal. We've all been influenced by the Arizal's thinking about things in a remarkable fashion. I never, I've never yet been able to understand how that happened. So, uh, I mean, you know, it was really uh, Tzvat, Arizal, uh, the Shul, the Mikveh, you know, it was like pretty small undertaking. It was like, you know, how did he do it? How did he get everybody in some way on his side? I don't know how he did it. I mean, he died when he was, uh, there is a, how old was he? I think 36, 37. You know, some people don't wake up till they're 40. I mean, I think most people. And he, he was dead at 37. How could that be? Good disciples. What? Good disciples. Chaim Vital. He had a, a bunch of disciples, which yeah. in the literature are called Gurei Arayot, uh -huh. you know, like little lions. Uh -huh. But the one who really promoted the Arizal was Rabchaim Vital, who, uh, who wrote these books that contained all of the words of, of uh, not exactly the publication of those books, are also problematic. So Rabchaim Vital said, Rabchaim Vital said, if God created the world, there must have been a, something th that God wanted. What the Ramban is saying here, which is another tradition, I mean, the Ramban, you have to remember, came before the Arizal. Right? Mm -hmm. So the Ramban says, when God created the world, he wanted, he, he wanted somehow for the created people to be able to recognize the notions of Kedusha and a place. And a place, and even though God created the world, and if God created the world, that God should be available to us any place in the world, there really is no difference between one part of the creation and the other, according to some way of thinking about it. <coughs> but in fact, in fact, what God wanted was a place for God in the world. That God should have a place in the world, that when it turned out in the flood, after the flood of Noah, that this would be impossible. It would be impossible for the whole world to become the place of God. So that achievement was redefined in creation number two, the creation of Noah and his family. And it was redefined into a place, a country. In the country there's a place. And in that place there is the notion of Kedushah, of sanctity, etc. A little bit more of the Ramban. A little more of the Ramban. And in that place, what place? The Mishkan is the place where God will speak to Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu will teach B'nai Yisrael the Torah that God speaks to him in the Mishkan. So that there are, you could say there are two aspects. There are two aspects to, to this uh, proof, like uh, how do I know it? How, how do I know that this, is what, that this is what God wanted? So God wanted a place where there was sanctity. And the reason, according to this Ramban, B'sham Diber Moshe V'Yitzabel B'nai Yisrael, because that was the place, that's what the house of God is. The house of God is the place that God communicates with B'nai Yisrael. How does God communicate with B'nai Yisrael? God talks to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu talks to B'nai Yisrael, so that's why you need the Mishkan. That's why you needed the Mishkan in the desert, because the Mishkan was the active ingredient in passing the Torah from heaven to B'nai Yisrael. Right, even though they had already received a little bit of the Torah, uh, they received Dasarat Adibrot, Parashat Mishpatim, maybe some other things, maybe they weren't written out exactly in the way they would be finalized, but the Mishkan turns out to be a necessary 
a necessary way of continuing Matan Torah, of continuing the Matan Torah. So now, he says, Vishami Dabe Moshevit Sabir Israel, Vihine Ikar Hachevitz Be Mishkan. So now he says, but beyond that, the main reason that there would be a Mishkan in the, in the camp, who Makom Menuchat Hashchina. Shehu Ha'aron. He says, you have to understand that in the Mishkan, which is like a big, a big area, there is the Oel Mo'ed. And in the Oel Mo'ed, there's the Kodesh and the Kodesh Kodeshim, right? If you look, the Oel Mo'ed is a rectangular building. You divide it up a third and two thirds. So in the third part, the back part, there's an Aron. There's an Aron, uh, an ark. Right, and on the ark there are kruvim, kruvim, cherubs. I don't know what a cherub is, but they were there, right? Cherubs on the aron. And the aron was the kind of uh, a box which opened from the top. It didn't open from the front. And if you opened it from the top, it had the luchot in it, the luchot abrit, the, the, uh, the tablets that Moshe Medu came down from Har Sinai with, and the broken tablets, probably, even though there's sort of lack of clarity about that. And then eventually there would be a few other things in that Aron. And on the Aron, closing it on top, was something that's called Kaporet. Kaporet. Kaporet is the cover to the Aron, because it didn't, it didn't have doors. You couldn't open it that way, you could open it. Then on this kaporet were the, were the cherubs, right? And the, when Moshe Rabbeinu received information from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he received it as though the voice of heaven was coming through the cherubs on top of the kaporet. Right, that was the place. And that's what the Rabban said. The holiest place in the holiest building was the Aron. The Aron in Truma, the first of the vessels of the Beit HaMikdash that are described and we're directed to build is of course the Aron. Is the Aron. So he says, uh, God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, I'll meet with you there. That I will speak to you from above the Kaporet. Kaporet? the cover of the Aron, right? The way that you can get in and out. And therefore in the parish of Truma, first we learn about Kaporet, I mean the Aron and the Kaporet, because they are the most significant Kalim in the Mishkan because they're the ones who somehow are connected to Matan Torah and the whole idea of building a Mishkan is to get the Torah is to get it because <coughs> you can't just get the Torah any place as we proved to ourselves at Har Sinai we had to go to Har Sinai to get the Torah so now we have to go to the Mishkan to get the Torah and then after the Aron, the Torah describes the Shulchan, the table that existed for the breads that were brought every Friday, and the menorah that was lit every night. Uh, and they will, they teach us why the Mishkan was built. The Mishkan was built for these vessels. Right, that the kedusha uh, that is assumed to be connected to the to the Beit Hamikdash, to the Mishkan, comes because of these vessels that were built. Avol Moshe ekdim b'parashat vayakel et Hamishkan et oalov et mechseyu v'chena sabitzalel lefishehu haraui lekadeim b'maaseh. So that was like just a. As an aside, the Rabbad says, well, you know that Truma and Tetzave, our Pashiot, we're Truma, next week's Tetzave, our Pashiot, first the Kelima described, and then the physical place is described. But at the last two Pashiot, Vayakel Pekudei, Vayakel, 
It's the physical place that is described. Pekude, the kelim, the vessels, are described. And why is that? If you're talking about the order of importance, of sanctity, what makes the place a holy place, you have to start talking about the Aron and the Shulchan and the Menorah. But if B'Tzalel, who later on <coughs> is going to be the architect, the builder, the Kabbalah, for building the Beit HaMikdash, when he goes to build the Beit HaMikdash, of course he's going to build the building first and then the stuff to put in the building. He's not going to build the, <coughs> the Aron and, the, and just leave it standing out in the middle of nowhere. So uh, the Rahman has given us a hint in his opinion, what the difference between the first two parashiyot, Truma and Tetzaveh, and the last two parashiyot, Vayakel Pekudei, what their difference is. The first two parashiyot is about sanctity. It's about Kedusha. What makes the place into a special place? And that's the Aron and the Menorah and the Shulchan. The last two parashiyot, Vayakel Pekudei, Vayakel Pekudei, they are the ones that teach us how you actually do it. And if you want to build a building, you have to build the building and then you put stuff in it afterwards. You don't buy the stuff to put in the building first. Okay, a little bit more. A little bit more of, the Ram, of this Ra, Rabbah. A little bit more. Vesod HaMishkan, who usually when the Rabban says Sod, he means the Kabbalistic way of thinking about things. That doesn't mean that it's going to be incomprehensible. It just means that it's part of a tradition of interpretation that might not appear in the standard, like, Chazal sources. You'd have to know something about Kabbalah in order to get it. So the Ramban says this, so this is enough. This sentence does it to me. You see the Ramban. I'll translate. Sheya kavod. Right there's this word kavod, which is hard to ignore. Kavod on a mundane level means honor. But when you say when you identify God with kavod, so you you're saying something else. The first bracha of the Sheva brachot. Well the, well, the first bracha, what? Yeah, that's the first bracha. I mean, Bari Priyagavim doesn't count. I mean, it counts, but not as one of the brachot of the Sheva brachot. You just say Bari Priyagavim with every opportunity you have. So, Shakol Bara Lechvodo. So, it's simple enough, three simple Hebrew words, but that doesn't mean that they're so easy to understand. Shakol, everything. Bara, Oh, creation. Lichvodo. Everything is kvodo. And here, what are we saying? That the Mishkan is more kvodo than everything else. In order to get to super kavod, you have to have a place. Where is the first place of super kavod, according to the Ramban? Har Sinai. Har Sinai is a place. In order to maintain the level of Har Sinai, you have to move, well, you can't move the mountain so easily, you can't take the mountain with you, but you can move the kavod to another place. And that's what the Ramban says. Al har sinai shochet lovenistar, sham, kavod Hashem al har sinai. Right? That's what it says. That the kavod, God's kavod was at har sinai uchtiv. God showed us his kavod, his greatness. And about describing the Mishkan, it also says, that the kavod filled the Mishkan. And there are two psukim that say that Kvod Hashem filled the Mishkan, Kineget. Kineged, etc., etc. So, so uh, the Rabban goes into a long digression, which you're invited to try to learn on your own, which is a great, a great thing. And the, the the way he does it is by using the word kavod. Kavod is something is is you have an awareness of the presence of God, right? That's what kavod means. It's like something you could see. 
It's tactile. You can feel it. You you know it. You know that it's there. Sometimes you you don't. It's not kavod Hashem. It's just God's power, like Kriyat Yamsuf. By Kriyat Yamsuf, I mean you knew that God did it because it was inconceivable to think that somebody else did it. But that doesn't mean it was kavod Hashem. Kavod Hashem is not something that you see. You see God's presence by uh, a physical a physical change in the world. You know, when Korach fell into the hole that was, you know, that buried him and they had his friends. So you knew that it was God, but that doesn't mean that it was Kvod Hashem. Kvod Hashem is something that you could feel. You know that it's there. It's, it's as far as you are concerned, it's indisputable. That's the, that, that's the idea of a religion. Like, you cannot really convince anybody else of your religious uh, position. But you can have one. In, in, in other words, I can feel as certain about my belief in God as I feel that this table has a formica top. It was, but I can prove to you that the table has a formica top. And I will not be able to prove uh, that my faith in God is necessary, right? It's not unreasonable, but it's not necessary. It's not like the Formica, Formica top. But if I can convince somebody that they should believe in God the way I believe in God, it's only because they are weak-minded. I shouldn't be able to do that. Which is what, what I always thought about uh, about the Baal Shuba movement. I, I couldn't understand how you could make somebody into a Baal Shuba, but if they showed up and they said they were Baal Shuba, so I always believed them. I guess it's not consistent, right? A lack of consistency. Okay, so that's it. Now, hundreds of years later, if you turn the page, I mean, hundreds of years later, the Malvin came along. The Malbin Mayor Labush Malbin. Uh, that was his name. He was a rub in, in Romania, a different town. At the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century, very clever. He undertook a thankless project, you know, from the point of view of, of great scholarship, of Jewish scholarship. He undertook a thankless project. He wrote a commentary on Tanakh instead of writing a commentary on, uh, on Gemara. Had he written a commentary on Gemara, he did write a book on the first 10 or 15 chapters of the Shulchan Aruch, which is still today very highly regarded by people who, do, who uh, learn Shulchan Aruch. But his idea, his idea well, in writing this commentary his idea in writing the commentary was he, he wanted to prove that everything that Chazal said about the Chumash could be validated and would turn out to be really a remarkable, intuitive shot. And he wanted to do that, of course, to fight against uh, uh, the people who were disrespectful of Chazal. And he wrote... Uh, you're a pretty long commentary on, uh, on the Medrash. It's really a commentary on the Medrash, but it inter it's usually printed with the Chumash. Uh, you know, it could be printed with the Medrash, and sometimes it's both. You have the Chumash, the Medrash, the Malbim. Anyway, the Malbim is, is a very clever. You're very clever, and if you're looking for cleverness, that's the place to go. So when he got to the Mishkan, when he got to the Mishkan, he wrote two commentaries. One, he wrote his regular commentary, which was to kind of uh, show us that Chazal and Rishonim, including Rashi in this case, are vindicated logically and reasonably. That's one thing he did. When he came to the Mishkan, he wrote a separate commentary about the Mishkan, his own commentary, not a commentary on a commentary, but something that he had to say. 
And that's on the second page in, this, in the left-hand column, right? And it's called Rimzei HaMishkan, if you see on top. It's hints, hints about the Mishkan. And what I'd like to do He says, oh, we'll start at the beginning and we'll skip a few lines. V'amru chazal, shemiyom shebara kodesh bochet olamo, nitavesh yelo dira batachtonim. So he says, chazal said that God, that's what God wants, right? We discussed that before with the Arizal. What does God really want? Why did God create the world? So, so in other words, dira batachtonim. That God wanted a, a, an apartment in the created world. That's what God wanted. Uh, same thing our children want. <laughs> but it's problematic. Problematic. Sometimes you think you've got it and you don't have it. So it says, Ritzelomah, Shadam Yitahev Yitkadesh Bolamoa Katan shol al So what does it mean, the, the, uh, the uh, Malbim says? It doesn't mean you have to build a building. It means you have to build yourself into a place which is sacred. How do you do that? I do they go back a little bit, a bit. Rotzeloma, you see the second line, the middle of the line. Rotzeloma, this is what he wanted. Shadam yitahev yitkadesh. He'll purify. He'll sanctify himself. Bolamo hakatan in himself, his small world. Until the divine in him. I mean, everybody was created by God, so there's divinity in everybody. And so we have to do is promote that div- uh, that divinity. Shetim and all of his power, his strength, then he becomes the god of the lower world. Because he, he is... If you ever learned the, the, the Tanya, anybody ever learned the Tanya? It's there. It's, it's, it's all in the Tanya. I don't know if the Malbim learned the Tanya or not. I imagine he did. But this is the Tanya, that there's inside of you, you have bad, but you could also beat, beat the bad down a little bit by, and be good. You may not be able to destroy the bad in you. You may not be able to like really get rid of it entirely, like you amputate something you know, from your body, but you can use the sacred part of yourself uh, the kedusha and the tara that you have inside of yourself, you can use that in order to overcome the bad in a particular moment. Right? The bad is not going to beat me down right now. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to beat it. Okay, Moshel al kocholtav bekocha bechira That's how he wins. He wins by bechira, free will, and uh, the divine in him. And then the light that comes out of him. I mean, after all, he's the bayit. He built himself into into the house of God, and that is uh, lights up all of the worlds. It's like, he says he compares it to music, interestingly enough. It's a side point. He says the music wakes up everything, everybody's affected by it. There's no guile. There's no guile to music. Like, there's no Yetzahara in the music. The music, even if it was, uh, even music that was created by bad people, can still be good music. Like it doesn't, the people who create it don't necessarily affect, uh, uh, infected with their own personalities. And so he says, Now I'm up to the, to the word Uvazeh. Uvazeh, line three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Line ten. Uvazeh. This is what we mean when we say the Shekhinah is in the lower world. Because from there, from the lower world, 
there's direction given to all of the worlds so that this is like a Kabbalistic idea but listen now and this all started at the time of this is Bamish the Tanya if you look it up chapter Lamed Dalet 34 Tanya Likuti Amarim it's called chapter 34 chapter 34 it's pretty good no? Pekias that's what I do. That's what I do, and no one's lear- looking. I, I like. I learned the Tanya. Tanya is a very uh, uh, a great book. Uh, not always understood really too well, but it's a great work. But you can go on the Chabad websites. Will give you Perushim on the Tanya in any language you could imagine. So you're in the clear if you want to do it. So he says, he says, It all started at the time of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. They're the ones who began this process of bringing the Shekhinah into the world. We've seen it. The Ramban quotes this statement. The Tanya quotes this statement. The Malbim quotes this statement. What do you mean? Merkava is a chariot. The Avodah are like the chariot of God, but the Avodah are in a place. They're not every place. They're in a place. The, they, there was a world that was disconnected from God. Right? The world after Noah. And Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov created a place within that world that would connect. That the world, that the created world and the divine world would be able to connect to each other. These are all words that have to do with the spheres, the heavenly spheres. So he says that somehow that this is this means that the avot were able to generate that goodness out of themselves. Right, it's in there. It's in everybody. The goodness, the kedusha, the tahara. But we're always fighting against the yitzhara, so we don't see that goodness. We don't see that purity that's within within us. But the avot did see it, and they were able to do it. Just like you know, people who believe in meditation, so they'll tell you that's what does it. You want to you want to do it? Meditate. We can't argue. So he says, "Vechein lefima asehem vachanatam bakodesh." So somehow they did it, the Avot, Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, they created a situation whereby the, the, the divine had a place in this world. They use a, the, a lingo. Right, but that—that's the point. So, so somehow the grand chariot in heaven is affected by the little chariot on earth that is ridden around it, Abraham, Yisrael, and Yaakov, and so the grand chariot in heaven becomes activated as well. Until everything becomes part of the the the, the small uh, detail, the small detail. What was finished? You see, the great God finds some kind of satisfaction in the little place that was created for God, and then God kind of takes over the entire world because of that. But you need that little place, the place of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and Cain. They, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, are the Merkava, the chariot. And they were, they also morphed into the Mikdash and the Oel Moed. And and God dwells upon them in a sacred manner. And they brought the Shekhinah down into the world. So, 
the Mishkan, according to the, according to the Malbin, the Mishkan, right, the tabernacle, was part of an ongoing process that started with Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, in which the attempt was to find a place for HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this world. And ultimately, even though he says it at the beginning, every person throughout all the generations is part of this process or could be part of this process. Because even though the Beit HaMikdash no longer exists, but within us, in our, there is this, uh, this difficulty that we have being who we really are, which is Kadosh and Tahor, that's something about us that, uh, that we could be if we weren't spending all the time with the Yetzirah and trying to either follow the Yetzirah or deny the Yetzirah, which takes a lot of effort and energy and is unfortunate. Yes? <laughs> so, so again, if the question is, what is it that connects Har Sinai and uh, Har Sinai and the Mishkan? What is it that connects Har Sinai and the Mishkan? Har Sinai is Yitro Mishpatim. The Mishkan starts with Truma and Titzaveh. So the answer, the answer might be that there's an ongoing attempt to find a place for God in this world. And since B'nai Yisrael were leaving, I'm trying to incorporate the Ramban into what I'm saying. Since B'nai Yisrael were leaving the uh, Har Sinai, it was important for them to take Har Sinai with them, to have a place where God would, uh, would show himself, so to speak. And that place, that place will morph eventually after the period of the prophets, will morph into after the temple is destroyed and it's no longer the place it will become that's what the, the Malbim says every place every place that a, that a person finds himself a person who has the sensitivities that he is talking about he will be able to build a bayit and that's what it means a bayit ne'eman b'Yisrael doesn't just mean that in the house they do the mitzvot or they act in, in a kind of a certain kind of manner but that they're able to build the world that God wants. That idea, which starts, we saw today in the Ramban, and uh, God has a new kind of underpinning in the Malbin. If you have Koach, you should look in the Tanya. Chapter 34, the Tanya says, it all started from Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, then Moshe, Nevi'im, right, Moshe and Nevi'im, and the, the, the Beit HaMikdash. That's how the, the, Malbim, the Malbim sees it, but it's, a, it's a, an act of self-awareness. In other words, in Har Sinai, you could say, oh, that was great Har Sinai, but it was a once in a lifetime, in a, in a world time experience. It's not gonna happen again. It was, it was what it was, so we're very happy, but it's not me. I personally was not there. And so, of course, the interpretation has to convert Har Sinai into, yes, I am there. I'm there, but I'm not there hallucinating about standing at Har Sinai. I'm there because the purpose of Har Sinai was to prove to everybody, besides the Torah, was to prove to everybody that they could achieve this level of Kedushah and Tahara, which is special. And, and has to do with the, with the Jewish people. And therefore, that we can take away with us. We take it away, not just the Torah. The Torah, yes, we take away the Torah, but we also take, take away the fact that we were capable of standing at Har Sinai. This was like, as the Ramban says, it was a, ram, a remarkable thing, panim and panim. It was, a, it was like beyond, beyond belief. So when you reconsider it, I mean, what can you do? That's why... It may be why there's no holiday that, that uh, specifically represents the event of Matan Torah. I don't know if you noticed that. In other words, I could, I could for Pesach, I could say, I could say, eat a matzah. And Sukkot, I could say, shake a lulav, sit in a sukkah. But what am I going to say about, about Matan Torah? Huh? So the Balatanya said 
that after the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, after the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, this possibility exists, when the Palatania was a chosen, right? That this exists through the medium of Talmud Torah. And that's what happened to the Jewish people. The Jewish people became the people of Talmud Torah. And so everybody tried to figure out what, Talmud, what the experience of Talmud Torah is. What does it mean? Of course, uh, it's important to know the Torah because that's the only way you're going to get it right and not get it wrong. But that's, that's not the end of it. That's not the end of the, of, of the answer of Talmud Torah. So the answer of Talmud Torah, according to the Balatanya, according to the Balatanya is that Talmud Torah is the answer to Har Sinai. What happened to, to, to it's the answer to the, to the Maaseh Merkava, the Avot, of Har Sinai, of the people who left Mitzrayim. And then finally we have Talmud Torah, where the same achievement, the same kind of achievement, the spiritual achievement, Kavod Hashem, right, can, can happen. It can happen. Okay. Oh, nine o'clock. Be well. Have a good Shabbos.